If you're gay, then you're gay. You don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. Tonight, I talk with a gay man who is taking on the Church of Scientology and being quite fierce about it. And we'll visit with a few of the folks behind the ABC sitcom, The Real O'Neills. And Steve Pride will be talking to Dan Matthews, Senior Vice President of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Danny Cruz. And I'm Jessica Andrea. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending March 4th, 2017. A court in northern Italy has broken new ground in the definition of family. The higher regional court of Trento ruled that both gay dads of twin boys born six years ago in Canada through a surrogate should be registered in Italy as the boys' legal parents. Surrogacy is against the law in Italy, so the men went to a country where it's legal. The unnamed couple were recognized as joint parents after a court fight in Canada. But when they brought those documents to Trento City Hall, they were told that only the biological father could be listed as the parent. The court ruled, however, that parental relationships are not defined solely by biology. On the contrary, the decision reads, one must consider the importance of parental responsibility, which is manifested in the conscious decision to raise and care for the child. Gabrielle Piazzoni of Italy's leading LGBTQ rights organization, Archigay, noted, however, that while the ruling has some important cultural effects, it sets no legal precedent. He agreed with the court's belief, however, that we need to move the debate about parenting away from the biological approach that ignores the complexity and the wide plurality of families. Italy lags behind most other European nations that already have enacted full marriage equality. Same-gender couples were finally allowed to enter into less-than-equal civil unions late last year, but they're specifically barred from adopting children. A Trinidad-born, UK-based queer rights advocate is getting death threats after he filed a legal challenge to the buggery laws of Trinidad and Tobago, the twin island Caribbean nation off the northern coast of South America. Jason Jones is also challenging the Immigration Act of Trinidad and Tobago, which specifically denies entry to gays and lesbians. Even though the laws are rarely enforced, Jones argues that their mere existence contributes to a culture of homophobia. He told the Trinidad Daily Express that the police have dismissed several death threats that have been posted to his Facebook page as idle, not legitimate. But these are bold-faced death threats, Jones told the newspaper. They are saying I deserve a bullet through my head and I cannot do anything about it. Jones said that he moved out of a friend's house, 
because I didn't want to put him at risk. He said that he's also hired a security firm. But Jones also expressed appreciation for the literally hundreds of people who have messaged me to find out how they can become involved. I am doing this for the betterment of our nation and for our future generations, he said. My resolve is even stronger now, so let them come, Jones added. I'm ready for them. A number of major corporations have filed friend-of-the-court briefs in support of Virginia high school student Gavin Grimm as anticipation grows for the first-ever transgender-related case to be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. The central issue, with oral arguments scheduled for March 28th, is whether or not federal civil rights laws that ban bias based on sex also protect transgender people. Apple, Spotify, IBM, Amazon, Intel, The Gap, PayPal, eBay, and Microsoft are among 53 of the biggest companies in the United States to sign on to the brief this week supporting Grimm's right to pee in the boys' bathroom. The companies say diversity and inclusion are central to their businesses, and recruiting trans people is a critical component of their missions. The cities of New York and San Francisco have also filed briefs supporting Grimm, along with unions representing more than a million teachers and other school personnel and groups that include Americans United for Separation of Church and State and the Constitutional Accountability Center. Chase Strangio, a staff attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union, which is representing Grimm, told a March 2nd teleconference that he's hopeful that the high court will issue a landmark ruling affirming transgender rights. But no matter what happens, he said, nobody is going back into the shadows. Nobody is going to stop fighting and there will be many avenues for public and social change as well as legal relief for the trans community. There are Trump connections to a successful free-to-pee lawsuit in the U.S. state of Pennsylvania and to the Oscar-winning Moonlight. Juliette Ivanko, the transgender sister of Jackie Ivanko, who sang the national anthem at the Trump inauguration, was one of this week's three successful student plaintiffs demanding to use campus bathrooms consistent with their gender identity. The policy of Pennsylvania's Pine Richland School District currently requires transgender students to either use single-person bathrooms or facilities matching their birth gender. U.S. District Court Judge Mark R. Harnick cited the 14th Amendment's equal protection guarantees in ruling that the plaintiffs appear to the court to be young people seeking to do what young people try to do every day, go to school, obtain an education, and interact as equals with their peers. He said there was a reasonable likelihood that their lawsuit against the local school district would succeed and ordered that in the meantime, the students be allowed to use campus restrooms that match their gender identity. And Franklin Graham, son of Billy and the leading preacher at Trump's inauguration, this week lamented Moonlight's Best Picture Oscar, saying it aims to induce young people into making homosexual lifestyle choices. Clearly demonstrating that he hasn't actually seen the film, Graham wrote that, from the reviews I read, Moonlight portrays a young, gay, African-American coming of age, and it stereotypes him as violent, a drug dealer, and a convict. Hollywood is notorious for glorifying sin, he said. I warn families and the church, don't allow your young people to be sucked into Hollywood's dark plan. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter if it gets an Oscar or not. The R-rated Oscar-winning film has been in limited release, and all of the eight other Best Picture nominees, including box office hits La La Land, Hidden Figures, and Arrival continue to draw larger audiences. But Moonlight expands in the coming week to about 1,500 screens in the U.S. and Canada, its widest release yet. It remains to be seen, however, if Oscar boosts its box office numbers. Meanwhile, TV and film star Patricia Arquette criticized the Academy this week for omitting her late transgender sister Alexis during the In Memoriam part of the global Oscars telecast. 
Alexis Arquette, died last September of complications from AIDS at the age of 47. She appeared in several films before transitioning, ranging from The Wedding Singer and Pulp Fiction, Two of Mice and Men, and Last Exit to Brooklyn. The Oscar-winning Patricia told Vanity Fair that her sister was a vanguard in the fight for understanding and acceptance for all trans people. At a time when we have trans kids that can't even go to the bathroom at school, she said, you would think the Academy would have a little bit more respect. There's been no response to date from the Academy. In other news, 17-year-old Mai King Johnson has become the first scholarship player on a major U.S. college football team to come out before he's even played his first game. The 6'4", 225-pound Tempe High School defensive end has committed to being a Wildcat at his home state, University of Arizona. He came out to his supportive mother, Nadette Lewis, when he was 12 years old. According to a story in the Arizona Daily Star newspaper, she told him that it doesn't matter. Love who you are, no matter what you are. If you love yourself first, then everybody else will respect that and have no choice but to love you. When Johnson came out to him at a recruitment meeting, University of Arizona defensive line coach Vince Amay said simply that, we want you to be a wildcat. I do feel like this can put a target on my back, Johnson said. He later tweeted, I'm just here to play football. And finally, a female-to-male transgender high school wrestler in Texas who's been forced to compete as a girl handily won the state's girls' championship this week in the 110-pound weight classification. Mac Beggs, a 17-year-old junior at Trinity High School in Euless, began transitioning two years ago. The University Interscholastic League, which oversees sports in Texas public schools, ordered Beggs to continue competing in the girls' division, however, despite his obvious physical advantage. He's been getting testosterone injections during his transition process. Dallas sportscaster Dale Hansen was one of the few in his profession to speak out in support of Michael Sam when the University of Missouri standout became the first openly gay professional football player in the U.S. And he still gets it, telling his WFAA-TV viewers this week that Mac Beggs does not need a group of old men in Austin telling him who to wrestle because of a genetic mix-up at birth. Mac Beggs is a child simply looking for a chance to compete in the world. Do we really not have the simple decency to allow him at least that, he asked? Because it seems to me it's the very least we can do. That's News Wrap for the week ending March 4th, 2017. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by... You. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Jessica Andrea. And I'm Danny Cruz. Remember, you can hear all 30 commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on the podcast at thiswayout.org and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I attended an Entertainment Awards presentation in Hollywood. Steve Pride was there, too, and he brought a recorder. Hello, this is Steve Pride. It's Saturday, February 18th, and I'm at the Pikey Cafe in Hollywood. As a member of Gallica, the Gay and Lesbian Entertainment Critics Association, today I get to mix and mingle with a few of the most talented folks in town at our annual awards toast. From moonlight to transparent to la-la land, they are packed into the tiny Maharaja room for champagne, french fries, and awards. 
but no one winner is represented as fully as that Dan Savage-inspired sitcom, The Real O'Neills. I'm Mary Hollis Inbode, and I'm on The Real O'Neills, and I'm here to accept an award on all of our behalf. It's the unsung comedy of the year. And my friend Noah and I, who is also in the show, are here to accept that award, and we're so excited to be here. It's weird because my favorite part about the show is the musical numbers occasionally, and it's unsung show. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. I tell Noah every day, our lead, that he's the luckiest guy in show business because he gets to do everything that he wants to. He's a Broadway kid at heart, musical guy and a dancer. And uh, Kenny O'Neill, in his fantasy sequences, gets to do all that too. So I think he's the luckiest guy in Hollywood right now. Tell me about your character because I kind of love you. Oh, thank you. I love Jody too. Jody O'Neill is the aunt to the kids and kind of a bridge between Pat and Eileen when they're not communicating. I think that it's awesome to have a character like Jody on television. She's all full of positivity. There's nothing sardonic or cynical about her. And I think when this family's kind of going through their trying times, you know, kind of gotten away from uh, the typical Catholic family with the gay son and the divorce. I think that she's somebody who's been through it all and seen it all and can help and be as positive as possible. It's very strange. I am Aunt Jody, Pat's oldest brother's ex-wife. It always confuses me. You know, it didn't start that way. When I auditioned for the role, it was a next-door neighbor. And then I came in to audition, and they uh, changed it around for me. So I was a little bit younger than the original character that they'd written, and uh, they decided that I wasn't a crazy neighbor, that I was actually a, a family member, not by blood. What do you hope the audience takes away from the show? That you can get through anything as long as you love each other. Even if you don't quite understand a family member, just as long as you keep talking and keep kind of showing up to the dinner table, you can really find solutions everywhere. And I think our family does a lot of that through comedy, which is really exciting. Introduce yourself and tell me how you got involved with The Real O'Neills. I'm John Vellis. My writing partner was the assistant to Stacey Traub, who was one of the showrunners of the show. And through there, David and Casey and Stacey interviewed us liked our work and hired us on the show. Good looking enough to be an actor. Are you always a writer? I'm a writer because I cannot act. I've tried that. I did it in high school and college for a couple years. Realized I was worse than Keanu Reeves. So I decided to take the writing route. I was a dancer though for six years prior to be a writer. That's where I met Josh. He was a singer. We met on a cruise ship. We worked two shows a week. We decided to write on the other uh, five days that we had off. Moved to California a month apart, about seven years ago, and then came here and then just started hitting the ground running. We were the youngest as far as the experience goes on the show. And just being surrounded by such nurturing, amazing, and just kind people is the best thing ever. You never feel insecure. You never feel that you're not being heard. They put just as much stake in us as, as we do the show. So it's incredible. It's just so nurturing and yeah. I'm Becky Mann and I've been writing on the show with my partner Audra Seeloff since the very beginning of the series. And as a writer, what have you done on the show that you're most proud of doing? Gosh, I mean, everyone else is terrible, but I feel like I've really elevated it. Yes. No. You know what's funny is as a gay person, I'm so proud of what we've done for the gay community and, and all those stories, but actually, 
One of my favorite things that my writing partner, Audrey Seeloff, and I did this year was we wrote the um, divorce ceremony episode and just portraying that just because a marriage is ending, it doesn't mean the family is over. I have divorced parents. A lot of people have divorced parents. My dad is gay. That was part of it. But there was something really touching to me about that storyline. The show, the show is so diverse. It's about a Catholic. It's about divorce. It's about all these things. Is the writing staff just as mixed and diverse? We have a very diverse writing staff. You know, we have people that were raised Catholic or Christian or Jewish or nothing, you know, or atheists. We definitely give a lot of care to the religious aspect. We don't want to be uncritical, but we don't want to be overly critical. Like, we want to bring the real human aspects of the show. And really, uh, these characters, their faith is extraordinarily important to them. And we want to give that a lot of care, you know, and show that. It's helped a lot that we do have people on staff who were raised the same way that this family is raised. You are gay, you said. You're gay. Are you guys, like, really protective of your little star? Because your little star is suddenly a spokesperson that he didn't plan on being. Oh, yeah. He's been given, at such a young age, this incredible responsibility. And we are protective of him, and we love him, and... It's a difficult growing experience. Most people at his age are able to go about their lives without a worldwide megaphone that you didn't expect. It's tough. It's tough for everyone to be replayed over and over and over again. Are you also a writer? Be the creator. I'm the straight creator, yes. I'm David Windsor. What inspired you to do this? We just thought it was an amazing story that hadn't been on broadcast television and ABC was willing to put a, a story about a coming-of-age teenager coming out of the closet and we thought it was just an amazing opportunity. Any pushback at all? Not from the network. I mean, there was pushback from like the Catholic League. They didn't like what we were doing, but mostly because they thought that we were going to be making fun of the church, which we never have. But as far as the coming out and, and the gay issues we've tackled, we've never had any pushback at all. It's been great. What about finding Noah? Did you do a large search or did he just crop up immediately? We did a huge LA search and we were pretty far down the road with a few actors and then he had uh, put himself on tape in New York. He had never been in front of a camera before. Somehow we got our hands on his tape and I saw it and I said, guys, I think we have to fly him out. This guy has something. We didn't know he was gay at the time. We couldn't ask him. He came in the room, and he just blew it out of the water. I mean, he was asking all the right questions. What you see on TV is the first thing that we saw from him, and he was just incredible. It's interesting, because I've been interviewing directors for 20 years about gay characters and gay actors, and I keep forgetting you cannot ask them. No, we couldn't ask him. We wanted to. We wanted to know that that actor could bring that experience to the role, but... We kind of knew. You know when someone has gone through that and when they haven't. We had a lot of very talented actors come audition for us that were amazing, but there was something different about him. What's your biggest surprise in doing the show? That we haven't gotten more pushback from anyone, that there hasn't been more 
outrage about showing a kid coming out of the closet. It's a pleasant surprise. It's not a negative. I'm very glad that it's not as big of an issue as I was anticipating it would be. It's an abstract concept, but now he has a boyfriend. Yeah, and that was important to us. You know, a lot of our writers here and on the show are gay, and we kept saying, like, what are those stories that we want to tell that reflect your experience? What are those seminal moments? And that was one of them, your first boyfriend, your first kissing a boy. We did that last year at the end of the year. Like, what is that like kissing a boy? And then what is it like getting your first boyfriend? They're really universal teenage stories, but for a, a gay teenager, they're more specific. And those are the stories we want to tell on our show. These guys wrote an incredible musical number at the beginning where he finally has a boyfriend. And we do this crazy three-minute musical sequence with dance and rainbows. And we love it. That we're allowed to do that on network television is really incredible. What do you hope the audience takes away from this show? We didn't want it to be preachy. We wanted it to start a dialogue. And if it gets a gay kid to be able to talk to his parents about being gay, that's kind of what we wanted to accomplish. And the response that we've gotten back that that's happened over and over and over again has been so satisfying. I mean, Martha, we do these Tuesday night screenings at Revolver, a bar in West Hollywood, and a guy came up to her. I mean, he was 30s, 40s. He said, you know, I haven't spoken to my mom in four years. Watching your show prompted me to call her up, and I think it was within the last six months, she walked him down the aisle when he got married to his partner, and his now husband. And so if we can get people to talk more, then we'll figure it out. Look, we obviously want to change people's minds, but we're not going to hammer that into them. People are stubborn. I'm stubborn. I want to have a conversation with people who are of the same mind as I am and people that aren't, so we can figure out where we have commonality. Introduce yourself and tell me about winning this fabulous award today. My name is Noah Galvin. I play Kenny O'Neill on the ABC sitcom The Real O'Neills. We won Unsung TV Show of the Year, which is pretty cool. But you sing on the show, so how weird is that? <laughs> Wordplay. I like it. No, I think it's a cool thing. I, I think it's lovely that people are recognizing the good that's come from our show. How has your life changed in this last year? I was a theater actor in New York for about 10 years. And then, uh, you know, I, I clawed my way to L.A. and clawed my way into this job. So what's the reaction been to the show? Largely positive. Uh, you know, initially we had some pushback from the right and from specifically an organization called the Catholic League. People weren't happy that our show is about a gay kid and also about Catholicism. People thought, how can it be about both? But I think it's a beautiful thing that we get to represent a kid who, uh, you know, shows people that having a relationship with God doesn't, you know, you can have a relationship with God despite your sexuality, despite your marital status. My parents on the show are getting divorced. Tons of things for people to complain about. It's important to make the distinction. I've always wanted to be an advocate and not a spokesperson. But in this day and age, people are very sensitive with the regime change that's happening currently. But I think it's important to overlook the small negatives. My show is about a 16-year-old who is flawed, who is growing and evolving and learning. He's not perfect, and he's not always PC, and not everybody is, especially a 16-year-old who is newly gay and has never met a lot of people who are different than him. And so 
I think it's important to represent that because I think a lot of people in this country are learning and evolving and growing. And it's a chance for us to educate through Kenny's eyes and for people to grow and evolve along with him. But also, I don't want people to overlook or discount the good that we've done just because of a joke here or there that people are offended by, you know? Thank you so much. You're amazing. Thanks. From the Maharaja Room of the Pikey Cafe in Hollywood, for IMRU, this is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. And the best unsung show, The Real O'Neills, is on every Tuesday night, ABC at 9.30 p.m. for those who watch it in real time. I just can't get over the fact that you get these people complaining about the fact that a show is dealing with things that people are actually dealing with. I know. I know. It's amazing. But they were talking about how there's less pushback than they imagine. And I wonder, is it because society is more accepting or is it because TV audiences are so much smaller now? Because if it was Because if it was on one of three channels, there might be a lot more pushback. You know, I don't know. You wouldn't have that ABC miniseries, When We Rise, if things weren't slowly changing. That is true. So, you know, another example of art and even popular mainstream art make and change. I'm all for it. Thumbs up. Yeah. Well, still to come, I am really excited about this interview I did with actor Stephen Mango about his journey into Scientology and back out again. You won't want to miss that. I can't wait for it, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Starving artist Beaufort Delaney, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Beaufort Delaney, a premier African-American painter, was underappreciated during his life because of racism and homophobia. Born in 1901 in Tennessee, his mother was born into slavery. With an early interest in art, Delaney learned the essentials of classical technique in Boston. He moved to New York City in 1929 at the height of the Harlem Renaissance. Although he became part of a circle of black gay friends, he was deeply introverted. Delaney's pastel portraits showed his fascination with the play of light and a love for the color yellow. With exhibits in Harlem, he worked as a bellhop to scrape by. At times, he lacked food and shelter. Today, his portrayals of Marian Anderson, Duke Ellington, and James Baldwin are considered classics. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Christopher Murphy. Hello, I'm Randall Kleiser, director of Grease, Blue Lagoon, White Fang, and It's My Party, and you are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine on KPFK-FM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org. Finally have a boyfriend It's gonna last forever Oh, so cute He puts the twink in twinkle in my eye Okay, I give it a month I know that this may sound gay I'm a dancing cliche I've been shot by Cupid in my butt Hey, give me back my baby! His face is on my cell phone Emergency contact Just when I thought That I would die alone Birds are singing The sky is bluer Air smells crisper I got a man now 
He's charming and he's funny and he's handsome. He makes me better. I feel taller. Oh, hi. Am I taller? I tell my parents what if they don't accept him they're still getting used to the fact that I am gay maybe you shouldn't tell them <laughs> hey ginger rogers get in here and help me with the dishes Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wenzel Jones. That song coming out of break, that moving song, was, of (laughs) course, Noah Galvin performing the Boyfriend musical opening referenced in our Real O'Neill's piece. And I kind of know man number one in that piece. So there. Mm. So switching gears from being gay and Catholic to being a gay Scientologist, my co-host Abby Dees recently sat down with a lapsed Scientologist and files this report. While the Church of Scientology has been around since the 1950s, it's getting more attention now than ever, attention it doesn't like. With Leah Remini's new reality series, Scientology in the Aftermath, and HBO's Going Clear, which was based on Lawrence Wright's best-selling book, the Church is under unprecedented scrutiny by the lay public. Stephen Mango is the most recent ex-Scientologist and activist speaking out against the Church. He's an actor a Beverly Hills hairdresser, and now a celebrity vlogger. He will also be appearing in a new documentary by Louis Thoreau called My Scientology Movie. Welcome, Stephen Mango. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You posted something on your Facebook feed last week about overhearing someone at work saying essentially, how could someone be so stupid to join Scientology? And you were hurt by that. But I think that that's how a lot of people feel. And I wonder if you could tell me What is it that non-Scientologists don't understand about how smart, intelligent, creative people get involved in the church? Well, Scientology is a very well-oiled machine. They have a very good system in how to rope in people. So what Scientology does is they find out what's ruining you in your life. So if you're in a very vulnerable, deep place in your life where you're maybe struggling, like me, I came to Hollywood to be an actor. I didn't necessarily know how to go about that. I left my family, my friends, just to take a chance on myself. So here Scientology came in. I got in through a um, newspaper ad in the actor trade paper, how to break into the entertainment industry. That's obviously what all of us young actors who are reading these trade papers, trying to find out about auditions and that sort of thing. So then you go there and they start trying to figure out what's your soft spot. Like, what are you trying to fix in your life? So for me, once they identified what that was, what was kind of holding me back in life, that's how they hook you in. You can take these courses. You can do this new age sort of counseling, which is their auditing. So they really find out how to rope you in. And then it starts off very easy, very gentle. Like you start on these $50 courses and then you go deeper and deeper and deeper. You're giving more money. And then you get involved into some of like the more controversial sort of stuff that we hear and we read about in like the news. But it doesn't start that way. That's the thing a lot of people don't necessarily get. You just don't walk in the door and they say aliens and (laughs) Xenu and spaceships. They don't necessarily go right to that. Mm -hmm. They're starting off as, hey, 
Welcome to the Celebrity Center. We can help you with your acting career. What kept you going? What was the pull week after week? Well, I started off on these courses that were very simple, like how to get motivated in life, how to communicate better. Once I started getting some different wins and some different benefits, like, oh, I can look at someone in the eye and communicate with them. Even though I was trying to be this actor, I was still kind of shy. And they were giving me a lot of confidence right away. They were love bombing me, which is, you're so amazing. You're so special. You're so unique. You're going to make it in Hollywood. And finally, I had someone who actually believed in me and believed in my talents. When did you start getting that something wasn't right? for you? Things started off self-help, interesting for me, and I kind of felt like I had this little bit of a family, but that's very short-lasting. They want your money, they want your time, and if you're not really giving them your money or your time, they start treating you a little bit differently. It's the same thing if you're gay. If you're gay and you have money, then it's okay. What happened was there was a lot of instances where I was locked into rooms, like physically where they'd lock the door and they'd have several Scientology salespeople in the room and they'd be using my social security number to try to get credit cards out under my name or loans. And then maybe I have more money to sign up for more services and things of that nature. One time I had them apply for an American Express credit card for me because they needed me to sign up for $50,000 to go up to the point of clear where you no longer have this part of your mind called the reactive mind that's holding you back in life. You're going to be this rational, free-thinking person and you can do anything. Wow, $50,000. Here I am. I'm 18, 19, 20 years old. I don't have that type of money at me. I'm doing background work on television shows. I'm trying to start my business, but I'm still kind of finding myself. But they're like, No, don't worry. We're going to apply for the credit card with American Express. Even if it doesn't get approved, we have people higher up in American Express and other financial institutions who can basically underwrite and approve the credit card or the loan or whatever it was. Even if your credit score is 402 or something. Yeah. Yeah. When they were trying to get a lot of money out of me, it was like, do you really need to drive a car? Do you really need a nice apartment? It's called MEST, Matter, Energy, Space, and Time. It's just considered as just... That's just all just shirt. messed. Yeah, yeah just, who cares? It's a shirt. It's a pair of pants. Why would you need that extra couple hundred dollars in the bank? Give it to us. Keep flowing us money. It was a flow. Money's a flow. And you're going to be attracting more different things to you because you're doing a higher spiritual game is how they word it. I could see the appeal. This is more than just you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, to their credit, will do things if they know it can help. A lot of people. In the good times of Scientology, it's you really are, good. it's good. You are the most spiritual being. You're on top of the world. And they're telling you, you can go to our gala events with Tom Cruise and Kirstie Alley, and we're going to hook you up. Once you start falling a little bit out of favor and you say, hmm, this doesn't ring true to me, then you think, well, why? It's because of me. Because L. Ron Hubbard has the answers to everything. Because remember, in Scientology, you do everything according to L. Ron Hubbard. You have no free thought. You always have to look for the L. Ron Hubbard reference. So, for example, I'm going to have a baby. How do I take care of my baby? You would go into like their policy books and you would read about what L. Ron Hubbard says about children. What do I feed my baby? L. Ron Hubbard has a specific formula for like nutrients for a baby. You look at every single thing in your life that you want to do. So you're not reading the newspaper. You're not going on the Internet. You're not having any access basically to the outside world when you're in Scientology because you're only focused on L. Ron Hubbard's studies. He's the source of all information. He's the source of everything, everything. So even though at first I might have had a couple of different little wins, you start turning into yourself. What's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Why is everyone else doing well and I'm not? They say, well, it's because you didn't apply it right or you need more review auditing. You need to go into session and pay tens of thousands of dollars. You have to go to Flag in Florida, which is their main mecca. There's all these different things that they do and then you feel trapped. 
Did you feel welcome as a gay man when you first joined the church? I was in the closet. If I was to walk in the door and say, I'm gay, I'm interested in Scientology, like I said before, they'll take gay money. Okay, so let's put it this way. If you want to be in a relationship with a man, you can't get Scientology services or auditing or with a woman if you're a lesbian or whatever. Will they tell you that? Yes. You cannot go to Flag in Florida, their main mecca. You can't advance after a certain level if you're gay. But if you're willing to go through some of the processes to de-gay yourself, like a conversion type of therapy, and if you cannot engage in any sort of sexual activity with a man, if you will not be in a relationship with a man, if you will basically live a complete lie, then they will accept you to a certain degree. They're not fully, to yeah. a certain degree. So what was your understanding? You were in the closet. Was this one of the things... What do they call it? The ruin? Is the, was this one of your ruins? This at the was time? one of my ruins. It was one of my secret ruins because what Scientology says is there's the tone scale. And the tone scale is basically like human emotion. So it goes all the way from body death all the way up. It goes through boredom. It goes through anger, covert hostility. There are all these different emotions until you get to the very top. It's called theta, which is your spirit. And everyone in the world falls in a certain tone. Gays fall into 1-1, one, one, which is covert. On a scale of 1 to 40. 40. Or 0 to 40, is 0 it? 0 to 40. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So gays fall into 1-1. One, 1.1, one. So one, not one. 11. Yeah, not 11, 1.1. <laughs> one. Exactly. So what happens on that level of 1.1 one one is you're considered sexually promiscuous, scum of society. You're grouped in with criminals. They think anyone who's LGBT is physically sick. Yeah. That's how they view it. I grew up in a Roman Catholic upbringing. I was in Catholic school since I was in kindergarten. I always was in that environment where being gay was wrong. So I'm coming from the Catholic school where the nun spanks you with the rulers. Everything's very, very strict. You're going to the Bible. You're kneeling down and praying every single day. You're going from that. Two months later, I get into the Church of Scientology. I wasn't really sure necessarily how to understand my feelings because, again, I was always taught not to explore it. That's how it was. So when I got into Scientology and everything's anti-gay, it was just normal to me. So I was thinking like, okay, like if they are promising ways to cure homosexuality, I'm 18 years old. I'm young. I'm not saying I'm stupid, but maybe this sort of thing would work out for me. Maybe I could just audit out the gay. This is Abby Dees, and I'm talking with Stephen Mango, an actor and gay man who left Scientology and is now speaking out loudly against the church. So if you go online and you Google Scientology LGBT, you get the most unusual range of things. So you've talked about Dianetics that was published in 1950 originally, where he says that LGBT people are perverts, quite dangerous to society. And this continues throughout the 50s and other books. And then he right. applies the tone scale 1.1, covert hostility. And then in 67, he issues a letter saying, oh, never mind, deprogramming really doesn't work. And we're not going to police people's sexual activity anymore. And then in 72, there's another official thing saying that gay people can't practice love. Mm -hmm. But then there have been people since then who have come out publicly. Their spokesman, Tommy Davis, came out and said in the Prop 8 thing in response to Paul Haggis, who left the church because of their apparent support of Prop 8. But their response to Paul Haggis was, no, 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 we are very embracing of LGBT people. Look at our record. We're all about tolerance. And that is their public line about it. Now I can't really get a straight answer, so to speak. So how do you account for this weird mixed message? Scientology is very big about their public image. 
for example, if you're going to ask Scientology if they believe in aliens, of course they're going to say no because that's not going to be publicly acceptable. People aren't going to walk in through the doors. So if there's a very big public announcement that like we are anti-gay or they just even said the word anti-gay, Scientology knows what happens if you say anti-gay. People are going to rally behind it and say, you cannot be anti-gay and they're not going to support that church. They're not going to go there anymore. Well, what if I was a gay man who was in a relationship with a man and I'm happy and I want to be in Scientology and do the same Scientology experience as everyone else? That's not going to happen. Would it make a difference if I did that and said, I'm also going to write you a check for $100,000? If you said, I'm going to write you a check for $100,000, it depends. Or I was listening to a podcast where Lance Bass from NSYNC, he was able to do like some sort of Scientology marriage counseling with his ex-boyfriend. That was okay because he's a celebrity. He can bring more celebrities in and maybe he can start shifting the image. But if you're just the everyday person, if you're me or you or anyone and you're gay, then they're going to be a little bit more hesitant. If you're very open and public about it and you're going to give them a check for 100000 it's okay if you're going to maybe try to not live your life. I wanted to say live a gay life, but that's just your life anyways. But you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. if you just want to be live honest an with open, who you are an open and honest life. I mentioned to you an email that Tommy Davis is my second cousin. Mm-hmm. Tommy Davis was for a long time the church's spokesman. And I don't know him as an adult, but I remember his mother actually very clearly from when I was a child. She was Ann Archer, the actress. She was one of the mm-hmm. early kind of big Scientology celebrities, and she's still very involved in the church. Right. And I remember her incredibly fondly. There was a gentleness and a sweetness about her. And I've known some other Scientologists, and they are all good people. They seem to be very much, you know, working hard to be good people. And Leah Remini, I've been watching her show on A&E, and I have such a sense that at some point, the reason why she left Scientology is that it offended her personal core ethical sense. And so this seems like a contradiction to me because the church talks a lot about its compassion and does seem to appeal to people like this. They tout their work going to disaster zones and got a quote from L. Ron Hubbard, and it's a civilization without insanity, without criminals and without war, where the able can prosper and honest beings can have rights and where man is free to rise to greater heights are the aims of Scientology, which that sounds Mm -hmm. wonderful. But then I also read a quote by Mike Rinder, who is a very well-known ex-Scientologist who is very high up. Um, He said, showing compassion for the less fortunate is not something Scientologists do. How do you square this? And how do people like you and like I remember Anne make sense of this? I believe most people who get into Scientology have genuine intentions on helping others, on saving the planet, on doing these different things. A lot of Scientologists believe that by auditing and even if it means going through a lot of crazy things to get money or to get you to join staff, it's for the greatest good of society. So you kind of start seeing when things don't really add up. So that's what happened a lot of the times. I'd hear Scientology say one thing, and really they'd be doing something completely different. When did you decide that you'd had enough and it was time to leave? You get to like a tipping point. You get to a point where you can kind of try to overlook, well, they're a church, maybe. I am not understanding something. Something's wrong with me. And then eventually when a lot of different abusive things happen, and you kind of separate yourself from it, and then you kind of like piece everything together, you're like, wow, this isn't right. What they're doing to me is not right. It's not a spiritual organization. Spiritual organizations don't lock you in rooms for six hours and take your money. Spiritual organizations don't steal your social security number and ring up 
tens of thousands of dollars of bills and you don't even know and they steal your identity but they think it's all for the greatest good for the greatest number of dynamics of the world and eventually I'm like you know what I can't hide who I am I'm gay this is who I am I can't keep living this lie I can't keep waking up every morning putting on a smiling face and go into a homophobic organization I was right about to go to Florida and I was going to join the sea organization and sign a billion-year contract and devote my life to Scientology. Sea Org is kind of what we maybe think of as the clergy. Exactly. And then I met my spouse. I fell for him really hard. And I said, you know what? I have to kind of give this relationship a shot. I'm not going to just go off Was he off a Scientologist? No. Would you say that he was the catalyst for things suddenly falling into place for you? Yeah, he kind of saved me. So I was basically going to sign away my whole life, and then I met my husband, and everything just started making sense. He initially said Scientology was a cult, but even though I was in my Scientology mindset, something in me still said, you know what, maybe he's right. He started lifting the curtain for me or kind of pulling it back or whatever the expression is. He started to show me that what I was experiencing and what I was going through wasn't healthy. After all of the financial abuse, all of the recruitment stuff that they were doing to me, everything I was going through, even though I'm the lifetime member of Scientology, three months after I became the lifetime member, I had to physically escape. I had to move. I moved in with him, my husband, Jeff. I had to change my phone number, had to basically start my life fresh. How did you heal or how are you healing? I couldn't just go to a therapist right away because I was still conditioned to believe that these people are evil. And if I see a psychiatrist, I'm never going to be able to do Scientology again. But eventually I was able to see a therapist and I'll give her a shout out if I can. Her name is Rachel Bernstein. She's actually a specialist in cults and specifically healing and recovering from Scientology. So I was in one of Rachel's support groups for ex-Scientologists and other members who have been in other abusive cults or abusive relationships. And you kind of see a lot of the parallels between other groups. And then, you know, someone like Rachel can make you see by going through and talking about your experiences. Wow, like a lot of what I went through is just like someone who was in an abusive relationship with their spouse or whatever. It's abuse is abuse. It's a journey, you know, even to this day, I still have to figure out who I am, what do I believe in, and working on continuously stripping away what Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard wanted me to believe. But really, Scientology, like I said, is just a well-oiled machine. They put you through the ringer. I think that Scientology needs to be taken down in 2017. That's my opinion. I think that they really need to be called out and maybe lose their tax exemption and be operating as a business, because that's what Scientology is to me, is a business that's selling courses and self-help. If you are a Scientologist or if you're a former Scientologist, you're not alone. Think what you want, feel what you want, and if I can do it, you can do it too. And you should tell your story if you have a story. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. This is Abby Dees for IMRU Radio, and I've been talking with ex-Scientologist, activist, and actor Stephen Mango. You can see Stephen Mango in the film My Scientology Movie by Louis Thoreau in theaters or streaming online. Abby, that was fascinating and terrifying. At um, the same time. I know. So is, uh, is there somebody we can go to learn more about Stephen Mango and his doings? Well, he is an aspiring actor. So he is, first of all, in this film, my Scientology mm-hmm. movie. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a documentary, but he appears in it. And that's in theaters March 10th. But you can find out about what he's doing at his website. It's mangotology.com, just like it sounds. Can Mango? you spell that for me? 
Oh, yeah, that's Mango. right. M-A-N-G-O-T-O-L-O-G-Y.com. Did I get it? Right. Yeah. I think I did. And he's got, he is doing videos and blogging, and he is telling the truth about this and being really brave because Scientology doesn't like it when people do that. But I he's know. doing it. This was, that was amazing. So, well, yeah, movie cha- was cool. Changing the subject with a sly segue, Gandhi once said. That is a sly segue. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. Steve Pride reports. Love it or hate it, mentioning PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, is unavoidable when talking about animal rights. And that's largely due to the efforts of Dan Matthews, the six foot five former fashion model whose first job was flipping burgers at his dad's restaurant joined PETA in 1985 answering their phones, and today is Senior Vice President and Director of their controversial publicity campaigns. I think a lot of people burn out with causes, whether it's gay causes or animal causes or any cause, if they don't lighten up a little bit. All the information can be such an overload, it can be so dire, and a lot of people become morose because of it. I've always sought to organize campaigns that were much more exuberant and fun, things like the rather go naked than wear a fur campaign. Things like the fur is a drag campaign, which has involved everyone from Lady Bunny and Boy George to Katie Lang actually dressing as a girl. And I've always thought that campaigns should be fun because the whole point is to try to attract more people, not just their support, but to make them feel like they should learn more about an issue because the information about animal cruelty is just so overwhelming. There's issues like animals being blinded and scalded in laboratories and electrocuted and drowned on fur farms and that outrage is why I got involved in animal rights, but to try to attract other people, I think it's best to be fun. You know, I grew up really in a white trash area and started looking after animals at a very young age, but I had a mother who was an orphan, and she never really had any guidance about what was right or wrong in life, so she just sort of made things up as she went along, and of course her instincts are a lot more progressive than most people's. She always urged me and my brothers to consider being gay. She thought there was something extra special about that, and it's odd that I'm the only one who actually became gay, or the only one who was gay. It's certainly a definitive argument about whether it's environmental or not. It's not. It's just who you are. Like if your eyes are brown or blue. And the seed that grew into the empathy that defines Dan's adult life was planted in that childhood. To me, it just seemed like cruelty was cruelty. And the kind of people who are cruel were the same guys who used to beat me up for being gay. And so I always saw from a very young age that animals needed help. They needed somebody to interfere on their behalf. It's easy to forget that back in the day, this was not a cool cause. When I first got involved in animal rights in the late 70s, it was something associated with Doris Day or Betty White. It was like a granny cause. The first few protests I went to, it was me and a few of my punk rock friends and a bunch of grannies. It was like Lawrence Welk meets the Sex Pistols on the streets. Um, And there was no media to speak of, really, at these early things. So being from the pop culture MTV generation, I always really could recognize the value in getting more artists involved and getting celebrities involved to help attract attention so that it wouldn't just be thought of as some kooky old lady cause. Yeah, making it sexy, making it funny, you know, like coming up with the whole rather go naked than wear a fur campaign, which really put PETA on the map all around the world. Matthews believes that animal rights is a cause especially relevant to our community. There's always been a huge crossover with gays and lesbians and animal rights. First off, our spokespeople have included people like everybody from Boy George and Melissa Etheridge to Lady Bunny and uh, Morrissey and bands like Erasure, Sandra Bernhard, Martina Navratilova remains one of our biggest spokespeople. 
I think it's because gays grow up in a world where they know a lot of people look down at them or consider their suffering or their plight irrelevant. And I think a lot of people act like that about animals. They think it's just an animal. Who cares if they're suffering? My suffering is more important. And I think when people hear that attitude about animals, especially gays, it hits home with them because they realize that these animals just want to survive. They just want to get by. They have good times, they have bad times, and they don't need these people basically ruining their lives, taking away their nature, and being so disrespectful about their lives. And so I think that's one of the reasons why gays often feel like outsiders, and animals are sort of the ultimate outsiders. Besides promising not to wear a coat made of Dalmatian puppies, what can an individual do? I think the most important things people can do is to learn more about the issue. We have a really great website, PETA.org, which documents not only a lot of our crazy campaigns, but a lot of the real issues behind them. And to educate yourself, we believe in freedom of choice. You should be able to eat what you want and wear what you want. It should just be an educated choice. And I think learning about these issues and being open to the idea of becoming a vegetarian or looking for alternatives to leather, which do exist, and to realize that you can have a great life without killing. This has been a conversation with Dan Matthews, Senior Vice President of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, and the author of Committed, a Rabble Rouser's Memoir. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. If we could talk to the animals, learn their languages, maybe take an animal degree. I'd study elephant and eagle, I was interesting that he drew a parallel between being gay and, well, not being gay and being an animal, but how gays have a, an empathy for animals maybe above and beyond because we've been outsiders too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I do think we need to be the voice or at least yeah. think about the effects our choices have. PETA, as you know, is yeah. incredibly controversial, yeah. and there are a lot of other animal activists who don't like what they do, and yeah. there are a lot of people who support yeah. what they do. But I, I can absolutely get behind the idea that you sh- at least should be educated. Yes. So, you and know. goodness knows nobody loves your animals more than their gays. And that so that's is why true. There's a shout-out tonight to Gunther, who's listening to Abby right now, I know. While his other mother <laughs> is out having dinner with my mother and not listening to the show. But the dog is dutifully listening. I know. I can see there's a big old pause trying to get the dial over. No, I no, know. no. I know KPFK's here. I know, I know. it is. Damn, but for these no opposable thumbs. I know. But well. that was a, a wonderful and educational piece. And thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Well, that is it for tonight. Our thanks to IMRU's core coordinating producer and tonight's director Steve Pride, our board op tonight Gary Baca and our Rainbow Minute producers Jed Proctor and Brian Burns. Find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio where the link to the latest show is posted every Tuesday afternoon and while you're there give us a like and go visit it because uh, Steve and all of us post interesting stories throughout the day every day. At least we think so. Well we find them fascinating but then we find ourselves fascinating. Indulge us. Indulge us. And come back, Michelle Marie. <laughs> Our thanks to everyone else who supported us and KPFK during the recent fun drive. Seriously, without you, we could not do what we do. So we're going to close with a song from an artist I just met a couple of weeks ago at the Gallica Awards, where we spoke to all the people from The Real O'Neills. His name is Joseph Ede, and the song is called Ready Now. Good night. Good night. I worked so freaking hard for you But he's all that you wanted 
I grew so many little hearts for you, but they died untended. Well, I've been watching you real close lately. Been working out at your gym, and I've been talking to all your friends. They tell me that you broke up with him. I think you're ready now. I think you're ready now. I think you're ready to love me. I think you're ready now. I think you're ready now. I think you're ready to love me. The secret laws of attraction, baby. I made a school out of them. I built my vision boards as high as heaven. I stuck you all over. Session never really died. It just grew silently stronger. And I won't rest until I make you mine. It ain't gonna take much longer. I think you're ready now. I think you're ready now. I think you're ready to love me. I think you're ready now. You're ready now. To love me, all the times I saw you together, it drove me mad, but I had to fake it. And I'd smile, but I couldn't take it. Are you better now? Are you better now? Now he's gone, and I'm feeling better. Been working out for you, my body's aching. You're gonna die when you see.